I V M. So we have discussed a little bit about how liberty is important for India, but but how do you see liberal ideas, freedom, and other things play out in Indian politics today? So I mean I don't know. At least I feel one. one way in which liberalism itself plays into indian politics is that there's a certain narrative that's taken hold and that's that liberalism is against development and then so you start saying that oh ngos that are asking for human rights stand in the way of development you'd say that people who are protesting are maoists you label them and you say they stand against development so development itself has become a great way of labeling the other side as like anathema to development and i think that's why so the, the liberalism the harry potter grindelwald type <laughs> uh, greatest code of the greatest number die argument that's being made For, yeah here. possibly yeah and i think political parties care about liberalism when it's not their party so when you have the congress like complaining each time the bjp shuts down uh, ndtv or shuts down the kashmir reader but then when they come into power they do the same things with newspapers so there's no across the spectrum respect for say liberalism or a liberal tradition okay and uh, there is no across the spectrum respect for liberalism or the liberal tradition as uh, karthik mentioned but also there is no respect for it on any part of the spectrum so i would be okay you know if the entire spectrum did not agree with it but i am failing to find even any spectrum of the indian political parties where liberalism and liberal ideas are actually respected in their purest form in their ideal form because uh, the yeah, most of politics is messy and dirty right i mean anyone who is an idealist will usually be unelectable so do you see dirty forms of liberal ideas that are there in uh, indian politics no i don't in fact so whenever you're talking about say a dirty form of an idea which is uh, you can call it a diluted form of an idea which should technically be better than the idea not being there at all i would concede to that but i absolutely don't see even that smidgen of the liberal ideas anywhere in the indian political scene and what i mean by that is congress has banned india was the first uh, country in the world to ban salman rushdie's satnik verses even before iran did it and right now they are raising a hue and cry about the ntv proposed ban right so it just small mocks of hypocrisy from both the sides so the true liberals basically have no one fighting for their agenda they have their agenda which is used more like misused by different okay parties. so i i want to focus on this because it's coming up and i think uh, even the book spends a little bit of time on it in one chapter or two every time we start talking about liberals or liberty uh, the 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 idea of hypocrisy just comes in and sort of slaps everything else out of the window right what do you think this hypocrisy business is all about and why do you think we're paying so much attention to hypocrisy i believe that when we call someone hypocritical or some political party as you know so who is hypocritical what we are essentially saying is they don't mean what they are claiming to say and so when they're claiming to speak against say when congress is claiming to be against the ban on ndtv that's not a principled stand that's okay. opportunistic they are opposing that because their opposition is proposing that but don't you think if you're actually fighting for liberty whether opportunistically or otherwise it's better to just fight for liberty Yeah, rather than just label them and get behind oh they were they i know what you did last summer type arguments but rather then, than just 
the problem the problem then is about the next summer because we are not so sure if by the next summer they'll still be with the agenda you know if it stops being opportunistic if it's principle then we would know that by the next summer we can still stand shoulder to shoulder with them and defend liberty now we don't because it's not principle but opportunistic may 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 I jump in for a while i mean we're talking about liberalism it has two dimensions it has the one as an idea as a set of principles and values which are ideas and then you have the organizations <coughs> There was talk about civil society here. There was talk about political parties, which usually are active in these areas right. where liberalism plays a role. Civil society, indeed, in India uh, is not very liberal if it comes to economics. So you have all these groups which are very, very strong on human rights, but in, in, in economic issues, they're socialists. So there are hardly any institutes which are liberal in the sense that they're liberal in economic affairs and uh, in human rights affairs. So that's an issue. Mm -hmm. Okay. But if you put them together, uh, I mean, if you put the society together, you still have a liberal discourse. Uh, okay. Another point is political parties. Yes, indeed, as a huge democracy, India is one of the few countries that doesn't have a party which calls itself liberal. But on the other hand, you have a party which is a government now, which has liberal economic programs. Uh, you have an opposition party in spite of all the hypocrisy, raises issues of press freedom, of, of, of discrimination against case members of religious freedom and so on. So there's a lot of sensitivity, but not united in one single party. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, what you said about liberal hypocrisy, I think there were, there were definitely some valid points in there. And that, that again comes down to the problem, which even I said that, you know, you don't have parties that like unequivocally respect a liberal tradition. And the problem with that is it just becomes an ideological debate then because you just, you know, when Congress is asking, speaking up against the NDTV ban, you just say, oh, they did it. So it's a very easy way that I agree with you. It's a very easy way to end up dismissing a lot of their arguments. And so maybe inadvertently going against a sort of liberal tradition or a liberal discussion because yeah, that's, that's precisely my concern. You know? yeah. It's a lazy dismissal of an argument. I mean, so if, somebody in power bans something today, let's have a discussion on why that was banned rather than I will choose what position to take based on who is supporting that and who is opposing that. Right? So rather than discussing the idea, we sort of pick sides based on who's on our side and who's not on our side. Right. So a lot of the discussion goes into that rather than the substance of the issue as well. And you're right. I mean, a lot of the abusers are bipartisan or multi-partisan in the country. That doesn't justify any one of them. Right. Yeah. Or that doesn't, to me, lessen the opposition to any one of them. Agreed. So this concentrated sort of confusion about who to align with, who's for us, who's not, has also resulted in a cynicism for the whole government question. Who is with us and do they really care? And if they don't care, then what is the point of a government? And then what do you do then as an Indian citizen in 2016? What do you do then? And uh, then also like... You can't really dismiss the whole that there's no no liberalism in the government. You know, people make statements like that, and blanket statements can't be made in general and also specifically here because there are very marketedly uh, liberal schemes that the government, the right wing government, is coming up with. So, um, and in opposition to that, their ideology is their leaders. They say some very non-liberal statements as well. So, uh, with concern to say the women's question or caste questions. So, I mean, 
it really depends on what what viewpoint you're taking and it's necessary to take a viewpoint because as i said the cynicism is getting so deeply rooted that at one point you will reach when you don't know what to deal with and then you'll be completely sure. at i think one see. of the interesting rubrics and this was told by an economics professor to me is uh, in economics you never talk about uh, right or wrong so much you talk about better or worse you talk about less or more so while we keep the idea of liberty as a almost a black and white issue i think in a polity in, a, in in an economy and in a society if we can ask ourselves are we better or worse off on some axis of liberty and then you know support the better and oppose the worse i think we will eventually be better off right but but i want to take this issue to sort of pivot to something else do you think this idea of hypocrisy is coming more and more often especially liberal hypocrisy is coming more and more often in the age of social media because now everyone forget the government forget someone in politics but anyone who is out there commenting uh, almost has a responsibility to never be silent right whereas sometimes you can just be silent because you were on vacation some horrible incident happened you were on vacation you didn't respond but then the next time you respond somebody will come in and say oh but why didn't you say anything about my parents beef right so how do you think this idea of liberty and the idea of liberals and essentially freedom of speech is changing in the age of social media i do agree with the fact that freedom of speech and its manifestation has changed but when you're talking about why these calls of hypocrisy have uh, become more loud in the age of social media i think there is a reason for that because when you look at how indian media has traditionally been structured and how it has tilted in most parts of our independent history i think we'll you'll find this very definite tilt towards the left and uh, economics and the societies i believe are self regulatory so once you had this to the left or is it a tilt to the government exactly a tilt to the government which was left for a large part of the independent history so that would be the more precise way of putting it but whenever you have a an unregulated space i think you will have a forces coming up which will try to counteract and counterbalance the status quo so the status quo being what it was i think it shouldn't surprise us that uh, the social media became this rallying cry of the people who never had a voice and now they suddenly had blogs and they had famous facebook pages and they used it to say things that they could only previously say in their bedrooms so it became this one very large microphone thrust into everyone's hands and then they could voice things that they were thinking about anywhere So um I think social media again it's a lot of noise and a lot of amplified noise and what social media has led to is not necessarily people who did not have a voice getting a voice I think it's led to this reactionary culture and this culture about reclaiming what we lost somehow that that seems to keep coming up you know oh let's reclaim the a hindustan that we had earlier before the british and even the moguls came in and we find that glorious tradition and that's used and used backwards to justify so many things and say that oh you know we were liberal but then again push against certain strains of liberalism and say that oh secular ideas are western and uh, talk about this but then still talk about oh, how hinduism is so accepting 
and okay uh, so you seem yeah. to be focusing quite a bit on the hindu right aspect of social media which okay. which we can come to yeah. but uh, what is what what's happening i mean what's happening with liberty and uh, do you think freedom of speech has increased in the age of social media harshita Uh, so I think let's first look at the grassroots level. Let's talk about. So I'll I'll give you an example of this auto wala uh, in Delhi who I was traveling with during the Delhi elections, and uh, I asked him that you know who are you going to vote and are you going to vote and please do that. So he said you don't need to tell me that. All of us auto walas are very very keen on voting this time because we think the Kejriwal government has. uh is going to bring in changes that uh, are unprecedented and this is the kind of things we want and you know he's raising a voice for us the common people all of that and then um recently now now about 3 days back again i did ask this question to a uh, uh, rickshaw wala and this uh, guy now he i don't know he was just so emotional about his response he said you know i feel like a sense of betrayal at the kind of kind of things that have been meted out to me because now it's worse than before so let's focus on the grassroots rebel and the uh, and the betrayal that they feel so um, in in the sense uh, you know as uh, karthik was saying about reclaiming what we lost uh, it is really important to uh, sort of characterize where where and what we're looking for and then compare that to what the government is promising us and you know if you do that connect the dots you will see this whole web of if i may say so lies happening for one one single so, so how is this a social media thing i mean lies have been the staple of politics yes. since you know people started speaking yeah this is relevant for social media because these same people with the age of revolution have gotten access to facebook have gotten access to uh, twitter and uh, if if not these things then at least basic commenting and things like that that you can use on a 2g network mobile phone all these people have gotten uh, gotten new voices and they can they can literally like you have the my uh, mygov.in uh, website where you can act, actually address the prime minister and you know these kind of new avenues of communication that have opened up social media is a lot more than just social networking right so that's why the lies are important because you can address those lies through that and then again let's focus on who is talking in a major way on popular for social media is it really is it only the privileged is it mostly the privileged and then where are the other people at the grassroots level uh, so you're watching the voices they're there or they're not there because earlier you were saying no i'm they're... saying that they the privileged people dominate social media so right. then does it become as much a, of a you know a great voice of india sort of a thing as yeah. we think it is i think social media is a big tool of empowerment no doubt about it it has democratized the media space many people who never had a chance to get their voice out are getting it out but at the same time uh, it has very many downsides and uh, i would now call the big uh, liberal german uh, philosopher immanuel kant uh, who was uh, was talking about the dialectics of an enlightenment so we are enlightened yes that's great but there's a dialectical relation there's also a downside to this i think it's you see it very clearly with social media uh, social media is also used to oversimplify very very complex situations and the result may have been even that the british voted to get out of the european union the result may have been that the americans voted uh, donald trump uh, the result is that uh, greek people voted syriza uh, the socialist party which doesn't have any 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 answers to the very complex situations we are in 
so, so polarization, incitement, oversimplification are a result. Now, the, 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 from a liberal perspective, the answer cannot be ban. That's never the answer. There is no shortcut. There's no shortcut. There's no oversimplified solution. The liberal response is be responsible with your freedom. And now how do you teach responsibility? We're talking about teaching. Also this activity has a teaching dimension. Uh, it's through education. And there's no shortcut than going through education. If you don't educate the people, they will always be open to incitement, which is a very big issue in India, also in other uh, pluralistic societies, to oversimplification, to populism, to polarization, which is a threat to democracy. Right. And the challenge, of course, has always been that this education that we think of in this rounded way, unfortunately, often has very little relation to college and university because you have, you we seem to have a lot of university-graduated people who are... Yes, but that's where institutes like yours come in. And you would say, okay, it's a drop in the ocean. Also, Friedrich Naumann Foundation is a drop in the ocean. But I mean, yeah, it's difficult. It's a daily challenge. But I think if we have one raison d'etre, if we have one reason to exist, it's exactly this. Uh, these institutes are there to educate in a civic way the population, society. And in the end of the day, this is our, our, our hope and our actual assumption that would be good for everyone. Yeah. So I think in the... Age of social media, two things have happened. While most more people can sort of have a voice and sort of have it broadcasted to a larger number of people, at the same time you can have people getting silenced, right? So you can have hordes of roving bullies online who can go and choose to silence whoever they want to. And there is no nothing there is no one partisan color here, right? So, I mean, there are tales of how um, clearly, I mean, I think the Bhartiya Janta Party was the first one on the move to sort of get a lot of people onto Twitter. But uh, a lot of people have missed out that the Ahmadmi Party got a lot of people onto Quora. So, if you say things against one party on Quora, you will get shouted down with a lot of messages and basically you get bullied into silence, right? I mean, why do you want to take that on yourself that 50 people you don't know will come and insult you, right? Nobody wants that. And so you sort of tend to self-censor. So that, that's one dynamic that I'm seeing. The other, which has interesting implications for free speech, is that because of social media, now you have a direct connection between somebody in power or somebody famous, be it a company, be it a corporation, be it a minister, be it a leader, with some number of people at least, right? So so the traditional role that media houses have played of being the intermediary between people with views or people in power and the public, that role has been disintermediated. So a lot of things we see is in flux, right? So which also means now the quality of information that you're getting, we don't know the credibility of that information, right? The, the ability to differentiate between propaganda and something slightly closer to the objective truth is much much harder nowadays, right? And and because of and I think social media is perfect for groupthink. Right? I mean, you surround yourself with people who think like you. You have echo chambers and amplification boxes, and so it's really really difficult to sort of know what's what. I think we're slipping a little bit into a Huxleyan world, right, where we're bombarded with information from all sides. So I think 
we still have to wait and watch what the nature of the freedom of speech and expression will be you know i mean what's what's the freedom of speech you have if everyone in the world is shouting i don't know right? so I, i i think we are going into a brave new world when it comes to social media but but i think as ronald said one of the principal things has to be some form of responsibility some form of self motivation to just be a nice person right and often people just forget to do that mm.